Welcome to Trinity Presbyterian Church Owasso Sermon Podcast. Grace changes everything. The invitation explains it all. The world today is at a critical inflection point. The sheer number of ongoing crises calls for bold and collective action. The annual meeting will convene leaders from government, business, and civil society to address the state of the world and discuss priorities for the year ahead. It will provide a platform to engage in constructive, forward-looking dialogues and help to find solutions through public and private cooperation. This is the way mankind attempts to impact the world. The World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland is a platform for global and personal impact, transformation. It is a place where they empower the powerless. Davos is considered to be the most exclusive club in the world. Heads of state seek entrance and only a few are invited in. But you and I don't need to be invited to Davos, Switzerland to know the tact and the approach and the strategy that they take toward change. Create maximum impact in the shortest amount of time. Gather in one room the most explosive people to address the personal and the global problems of our day. And what does it mean to make an impact? You want to make an impact? The world is awash with language about impact. Every vision statement ever formed, every leadership group that's ever gone on a retreat talks about making an impact. To make an impact means that you are garnering maximum force in the shortest amount of time. If we were all in a math class, you might say impact equals force over time. So let's do a little experiment together. Would you, would you join me in clapping together? Not yet, but take your hands, and we're all going to clap on three. Ready? One, two, three. That's impact. Maximum force over a very short period of time. Now, I want you to do the same motion once again, but I want you to do it slowly. Are you ready? One, two, three. The irony of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is that it looks like it's the same motion that you see out in the world. But actually, the invitation that the gospel of Mark presents to you is an invitation into a room that is even more exclusive than anything you could ever imagine this side of heaven. It is an invitation for you to actually allow yourself to be challenged in the way that you view the world, to be challenged in the way that you understand impact, to not try to garner maximum thrust or force in the shortest amount of time, but actually to make a million little decisions over the course of a generation for the sake of the next generation, based upon one central truth, that there was a Jewish carpenter who lived a perfectly holy life, fulfilled the law of the Old Testament completely and absolutely. And rather than lead a political rebellion against the greatest empire the world had since had yet known, Rome, 
He died as a convicted criminal on the cross. And all hopes seemed to be dashed. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that is good news. Friends, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a paradox. Do you know what that word is? Do you know what that word means? Do you know what that word does? It's a paradox. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded and true. A dead man coming to life. (laughs) That is a paradox. A dead man coming to life teaching us that we who are dead in our trespasses and sins find life, not through our own self-saving strategy, but by looking to the one who is resurrected so that we in our death to sin might have life eternal. That is a paradox. Now, Mark's gospel intends to make an impact on everybody who reads it, but he does so in a very paradoxical way from the way that you're normally used to thinking. And he wants to show us two things in this passage, in Mark 1.1, and then at the end in Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. He wants to show you the paradox of power of the risen Christ. And he wants to show you the paradox of an encounter with the risen Christ. So first, the paradox of power of the risen Christ. In our world today, there are three ways to gain power, to make an impact. What are those? One is coerced power. That is the power of the state. The second is what? It's economic power. That is the power of money. And the third today, you might argue, is the power of social power, a power over media. It is a charismatic personality over media that can garner an incredibly large following. And today, people actually pursue the third means of power because if you pursue the third means of power and you get enough Facebook views, then you're going to be able to make power number two, which is money, And that might even get the attention of power number one, which is the state. When Jesus Christ was born, there was an emperor of Rome whose name was Gaius Octavianus. He later had his name changed to Caesar Augustus. Augustus was his given name. It was the name handed to him. It means the revered one. And Caesar Augustus, was revered indeed. He had come in and he had conquered and quelled a civil war that had raged across Rome for a decade. He vanquished all of his enemies, of which Mark Antony and Cleopatra were the last to fall. He unified this global empire that covered a third of the known world at the time. And he delivered what's called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Because, Julius, uh, because uh, Augustus was the son of Julius Caesar, who they viewed as a god, they called Caesar Augustus the son of God. They looked upon the emperor as though he were God himself. And on his birthday one year, there is in the Mediterranean world an inscription called the Priene Inscription, and it was written about a decade before Jesus was born. And the inscription says this, The beginning, the birth of Augustus, was the beginning of the good news for the world. 
So isn't it curious that when Mark is writing his gospel, he starts his gospel out saying, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, who do you think he wanted his readers to think of? When Mark is opening his first line, he is trying to get his readers to think about the emperor. The beginning, arche, of the good news, euangelion, is the same language that they saw in the inscription 10 years ago in the Mediterranean world. And Mark is literally announcing the coming of the king in Mark 1.1. And at the very end of his book, he ends his book by saying, the announcement of this servant king has come. And he has come through the demonstration of the resurrection. So the first paradox that you and I have to recognize is the introduction to who Jesus is. That he is the true king. But the paradox is that Jesus didn't have state power even though his disciples wanted him to take state power. He refused. Jesus didn't have any money. He let Judas handle all of that. Judas, I mean, Jesus didn't have a media campaign. He was a little-known Jewish carpenter that was born in Bethlehem. Can anything good come from Nazareth? In fact, Jesus wouldn't even let people tell him to spread the news about him until his time had come. And so the irony is that when Jesus comes into your world, he comes into your world and into your life in very subtle, very interesting ways. For some of you, he comes through the tragedy of sickness. For some of you, he comes through the tragedy of death. For some of you, he comes through the tragedy of homelessness. For some of you, he comes through the tragedy of being absolutely desperate. But let me ask you a question. Why does it take that? If Jesus is the true king, what is it that holds you back from seeing him as Mark intends you to see him? The truth of the matter is that we're held back because C.S. Lewis once wrote, where men are forbidden to honor a king, they will honor millionaires or athletes or film stars instead, even famous prostitutes or gangsters. For spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. You deny it food and it will gobble up poison. You know, one of the interesting things about the beauty of the paradox of who Jesus is is that Jesus comes to offer us true food indeed, but we look at it and we just yawn. We don't see him for who he is. But he is the true king, I tell you. And he's here. Secondly, the paradox that we find in Mark chapter 16 is that women are Mark's first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. What a paradox. What courage it would have taken for Mark to write that the women were the ones who first saw the resurrected Christ or the ones who first saw the tomb. In the first century world, the testimony of women were held in derision. They were often not even allowed to be legal witnesses in a court of law. So why would Mark write that women were the first to see the empty tomb? Answer, because he just tells you like it is. They did. What an upside-down world kind of world we live in. That even in the retelling of the gospel story, the resurrection, you find that the lowest at the time testimony you could possibly have gathered were the first to actually see him. 
Paradox number two is that women were the eyewitnesses. Paradox number three is Jesus immediately goes to Galilee, not Jerusalem. People who want to lead a revolt, want to lead an uprising, want to lead a revolution, they go to the capital city, but Jesus goes back to Galilee. They tell, the angel tells the women, go and tell his disciples to go to Galilee because that's where he is. Why Galilee? Because that's where they lived. That's where they lived. That Jesus doesn't go into the cities. Jesus doesn't go to where he can make a huge impact for the world, the greatest amount of force in the shortest period of time. Jesus actually goes to right where you are. And he knows where you are right now. He knows the doubts that you have about the gospel, and he can handle them. He knows the questions you have, and he draws near to you. Jesus goes into Galilee because he goes into the place, the hometowns, the region where his disciples were from. He goes, he goes to you. He comes to you where you're from, through your front door, past the place you are into your heart. He says, hey, I'm here. And I want you to see the paradox of my love for you. In Mark chapter 10, uh, James and John are talking to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus had such patience. He says, okay, what do you ask of me? And they say, we want you to let us sit on your right and left in glory. And do you remember, do you remember what Jesus said to them? Oh, friends, you do not know what you're asking for. For the authorities over the Gentiles lord their authority over them. A veiled reference again to the emperor. But I come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You want to pursue power the way that I'm delivering power? You must come and die. You must follow me. You must not pursue power the way the world does. You must humble yourself even to the point of death. Not only is there a paradox of power in the gospel, but there is a paradox of encounter with the risen Christ in the gospel. Because how do the ladies encounter Christ? They get up very early that morning at the dawn of the Sabbath, and they go and they buy spices. And then they come to the tomb in order to do something they believe for Jesus, to anoint him. And they're talking on their way about the rock. And it's a good thing to talk about because that rock was big, Mark says, very large. And they get to the tomb, and what do they find? They find that the stone has been rolled away. Children, can you imagine? Can you imagine that if you were to walk, let's say that you were to go one day, you were to walk into the uh, most beautiful building you could ever imagine. It's like a museum. Like you could never get in it. It's always locked. You have to have a ticket. And you come, and the doors are open. And it says, come on in. Come see. Now, Jesus in his resurrected body, he walked through walls, didn't he? Yeah, he walked through walls. So let me ask you a question. Why did they have to have the stone rolled away? Couldn't Jesus have just walked through it? The truth is, that stone was rolled away, not for Jesus. It wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. That stone was rolled away, friends, to let you in. 
to see him. Notice what the angel says to the women. He says, come and see him. The gospel that this Jewish carpenter who lived a perfect life and died for us is good news, is trustworthy and true. But we don't just say, just trust us, just trust it. No, Mark says, trust but verify. <laughs> trust but verify. Do you remember in the Cold War, you know, remember how the U.S. would often say to Russia and Russia would say to the U.S., yeah, we trust you, but we're going to verify. And the gospel is trust but verify. For more than 2,000 years, people have tried to pick this thing apart, and they cannot get to the empty tomb. They can't understand it. And so people just tend to ignore it altogether. But the angel invites these ladies in, and he invites you in this morning to say, come in. Because the truth of the matter is, unless you see the risen tomb was not open for Jesus, but was open to let you in, and unless you go into the tomb, unless you yourself die to your self-saving strategies, you don't yet believe the resurrection. You have to go into the tomb yourself. And you have to do what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. Christian, don't you see the paradox that the way up in the Christian life is down? That the way to gain your life is to admit that you cannot earn, you cannot be satisfied at the most deep level. You've been trying. I know you've been trying. And some of you have been trying for decades. But what if Jesus is welcoming you, welcoming you in to that tomb? Come see where he lay. Come examine it. Come find that the empty tomb is in order to let you in so that you may die in order that you may live. Paradox number one is the introduction to Jesus. He is the true and greater Augustus. Paradox number two is that the women are the first eyewitnesses how radical that would have been in the ancient world. Paradox number three is that Jesus doesn't go to the city center. He goes to where you are, where his disciples lived. He comes to you. That's how loving he is. And you have to have an encounter with him. How do you have the encounter with him? You go to the tomb and you die to your self-saving strategies. And the next paradox we find is that the only way to do this is by the paradox of grace. The paradox of grace. Have you ever wondered why Mark ends his book the way he ends? Look at the bottom of verse 8. If you have a Bible, some of your Bibles will say this funny line. It says, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 16, 9 through 20. Isn't that curious? Have you ever seen that? Ever wondered why that is? The truth of the matter is that the best manuscripts in the ancient world end at verse 8. They end with the words, they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. 
It's a curious way to end the book, isn't it? What did the angel tell them to do? Go and tell his disciples. What did they do? They disobeyed. They did not do what the angel told them to do. And so you can imagine as early Christians, if you had your Bibles and you read that, you read the end of the book of Mark, that you would be very tempted to say, we got to finish the story. We know from the other gospels that they later saw Jesus. And so in verse 20 of Mark chapter 16, which was almost undoubtedly not part of the original, notice that it ends in exactly the opposite way. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. (laughs) Isn't that curious? One of the most amazing things about the book of Mark for me is that when you look at the very end of the book of Mark, when it ends at verse 8, that they left fearful, not obeying what the angel asked them to do. It is though Mark is extending the invitation to you and saying, how would you judge their behavior? And better yet, how would you step into the story of Mark and what would you have done in that situation? And it's as though Mark is saying, this is not just hypothetical. He's getting his arms around you literarily and he is saying, you are part of the story, friends. You have heard it. You have heard the good news to go and tell, to come and see, to die to yourself, to see the risen Christ. What will you do with it? And I'll tell you what, if you're like me, then you have not done oftentimes what he's called you to do because you're fearful and because you're insecure and because you're scared. Some of us in this room, as we worship, one of the things that you love, love, love about the worship at this church is you love the confession of sin, don't you? You love the confession of sin. Like, you're, you love it. The problem is you hate the assurance of pardon because you don't believe it. You don't want to hear the good news that God has forgiven you because you want to continue to earn his love and favor. But that's, friends, what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. And for those of you who are churched, who have been coming to church for many, many years, the confession of sin just rolls off your tongue, but the assurance of pardon, mm, you have a harder time receiving that good news. Others of you who maybe are here for the first time, right, you're going to hear the assurance of pardon in just a little bit, and you're going to go, yes, forgiven. I haven't been in church in a year, and I'm forgiven. It's awesome. But the confession of sin is hard for you because it pierces to the heart. And it says that all of your self-saving strategies will not bring you into relationship with the Lord. The good news of the gospel of grace is that there is a level playing field at the foot of the cross. And I would just encourage you to notice that perhaps the final paradox of this text is what it leads us into, wanting to know how we would actually respond. And we know from other passages in the Gospels that the disciples love to be with the resurrected Christ. They love to be with him. They love to follow him. They ate breakfast together on the beach. They, they love to listen. And when he ascended, they, they sat there. And it says they sat there in awe, wondering, what are we going to do now? Because they love to be with him. And one of the paradoxes of the Christian life is that you, you cannot say, well, let me say it like this. If you were to come up to me and you were to say, hey, Blake, I really like you, but I think your wife is ugly. 
I really like you a lot, but man, I just can't stand her. We would not be friends. But isn't that what you do to Jesus? Don't you say to Jesus, Jesus, I really like you, but your church is ugly. I really like you, but I don't like your bride. And isn't it a paradox that God would actually help you understand who you are at the deepest level by bringing you into an interdependent community called the church, the new Israel, the people of the resurrection? And isn't it interesting that he would ask you to come and to gather in corporate worship week after week after week after week? What if the way you change the world is not gathering all the most powerful people in a room together, but what if it's gathering people like you and me through a million little decisions that we make over the course of the week in light of the resurrection? Change our neighborhoods. Repent to our spouses. Ask forgiveness to our children. Could it be that you are so tired because you've been working so hard to keep Jesus away? And maybe, just maybe, the paradox of your growth and the way that the gospel breaks through in you is actually coming closer to his body, the church. So we can say to Jesus, Jesus, I love you and I love your bride, the church. Friends, I would encourage you, if you are hurt by the church, and there's many reasons that many of us have been hurt by the church, to try again, to keep coming. I know you're here because your parents asked you. I know you're here because you, it's Easter Sunday. But what would it be like if you kept coming? What, what would it be like if bit by bit by bit, the Lord began to heal you like a broken bone is healed in a cast of his covenantal care? What if your brokenness couldn't be healed by you putting your weight on your leg all the time? What if you had to actually admit you don't have it all together in a room full of people who admit they don't have it all together? What if we checked our self-righteousness at the door? What could we as a resurrected community be like? How could we speak well of other churches in this city? How could we not be so fearful of economic downturns? How could we go and we could give toward each other when we needed to? How could we raise our children together? How could we be this beautiful picture of Christ's body for the world? Because that's what he's called us to. We are a resurrected people which means we are a people of utter and complete paradox. The world looks at it and goes, how in the world did these people get along because I see Republicans and Democrats. I see black and white. I see English speakers, and I see some people that are from Boston. <laughs> what could we be like? Mm. It would be beautiful. The World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland is a platform for impact and strategizing how to empower the powerless. But the leaders of Davos will not give their power to others. That's too much to ask of them. But the Lord Jesus Christ did. He laid down his life, infinitely powerful for you, so that you and your powerlessness might actually come to know him. Would you allow Mark's introduction 
of the beauty of Christ to compel you to faith. Mark delivers an invitation from Jesus to join in the fellowship of the redeemed, those who are changed by grace. And Mark invites you to respond. The invitation says it all. What a paradox the gospel of grace is. Let's pray together.